You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. If you've been with us, we're doing the His Playlist uh, back to the 90s. I've been loving this whole 90s theme, but every, like every Sunday I feel the urge to get out the old Hornets windbreaker and challenge you know, Pastor Will to a game of Pogs. But tonight's a little different. While most of us are making sure that we have everything done and ready for tomorrow, all the food is prepared, or at least ready to be made. All the presents are wrapped, and the stockings are hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas will soon be there. A lot of effort has gone into making sure that everyone in our families and our friends have a good time and get some of the things that they want. But is that truly the focus of Christmas? Or should it be? Well, the answer is no. While tomorrow is not the exact day of Jesus' birth, we know that, um, this is a, a time where we actually celebrate this evening a young woman, a young pregnant woman, and her betrothed making an approximate six-mile journey. For those of you women in the uh, congregation tonight who have had children, you know what it's like being nine months pregnant. You don't even want to walk halfway across the house, let alone six miles in the desert. But while she's there, she gives birth to not just any baby. We all think that our children are special, and I, and I see plenty of them here. And we've all made that statement, but this baby was truly special. This baby was vera homo vera deus. He was truly man and truly God. So sticking with the 90s theme for this evening, I'll be going through Psalm 93. And there are three points that I, I kind of want to look at. I want to look that we can rest in God's sovereignty. We can rely on his strength and rock solid statutes. If you'd like to, turn your Bibles to Psalm 93 or open your cell phone app, whichever you would prefer. The Word of God says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on a strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established, and it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice, and the floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight thanking you, Lord, for the the celebration that we get to have this evening, praising your son and celebrating his birth. Father, I pray that someone somewhere um, will hear this message or any message that uh, we distribute out to the world. And if they don't know you, we pray that they come to know you. Bless us this evening, Lord. and It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, Psalm 93 is one of the psalms that is labeled as a hymn of praise. Others that fall under the same label are Psalms 95 through 99, 
and 29. They address the divine kingship of God and they cover everything from his kingship over his creation to his kingship over his people. Our creator sitting on his throne in heaven, majestic in every sense of the word. Webster's Dictionary defines the word majesty as having sovereign power, authority, or dignity, a royal bearing. And numerous times in scripture we see God sitting on his throne. Refer to Isaiah 6, 1, the prophet writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Church, can you imagine that sight? Could you imagine walking into a large temple type of area, columns, sky, as far as you can see? There's creatures around the throne that you eventually find out are the seraphim, and I highly recommend that if you want any more to know about them, you continue in Isaiah 6. But on this throne sits high and mighty, sitting with a regality like no other is the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty the creator and sovereign king of this universe. Nothing happens or can happen outside of his sovereign will. How many times do we ourselves as depraved human beings put things on a throne other than God? Step back and think for a second. How many times did you log on to your social media today and what's the first thing that you saw? Advertisements. It's said that roughly everyone sees approximately 4,000 advertisements a day because of our use of social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Think of how many times you watch a YouTube video and they're on there. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to sell you a product because what you have isn't good enough. Don't like your house? Buy a new one. Don't like your car? Buy a new one. Don't like your family? Divorce that one and get a new one. Or they're showing a celebrity. And this celebrity has things that, that you want. So now you want to be like this person. You've put that person on the pedestal. Do you have a home? Do you have a car? Do you have a family? God gave that all to you. And he provided to you these things. And anything other than that is idolatry. Matter of fact, Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, 26, that if God the Father can take care of the birds of the air, and I'm paraphrasing, what makes you think he can't take care of your needs too? Our God is holy and majestic, and God is knowable. But he isn't noble in the way that we think, that we say when we know someone. Like when we say that we know because we've, we've been to their house and we've seen their living room. And well, you can just tell a lot about someone by the way they keep their living room. I know that person. This isn't how we know God. God presents himself through his word, his works, and in the person of his son incarnate, Jesus Christ. This psalm states that this world is established and that it shall never be moved. A little random piece of, uh, of trivia. 
Some people centuries ago used to use this verse to say that the world, that this was written scriptural proof that the world was the center of the universe and that the sun and everything in everything else ran right around it. Anytime I read moments like this where scripture is taken to mean something that is far from what it truly means, I have to give myself a chuckle because of a meme that I've seen, I can't tell you how many times on Facebook. It's got a, a wife having her husband open a pickle jar. And she's trying to convince him to use some kind of kitchen appliance, a jar opener or something to open this, and he's not having it. And his initial reaction is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To which she gladly responds, it's a pickle jar. Twist the lid, not the scripture. Instead, this verse shows the kingship of Yahweh over his creation. He established this world. He designed it and built it ex nihilo, meaning from nothing. It wasn't made of some primordial chaos, and it will neither falter nor will it flounder. And how long has he been keeping this operational? The next sentence says that the throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting, meaning that the throne of God is, was, and forever will be. God has occupied his throne from before the foundations of the, of the world, and there's nothing that can ever remove him from that. There's not one thing in this world or the next that will stop God from being able to sit on his throne. Talk about security. If there's one thing that we've learned over the past year, it's that people, and unfortunately Christians are included in this list, want to find their identities in political parties. And while, we are, while I'm standing here in front of the congregation, and I'm sure we're live as well, I'm going to go ahead and let you know where I stand on this, on this issue. I identify with Christ, not one side or the other. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, who's the ruler over here, who's the ruler over there, the king of this country, the queen of this nation. God is on the throne and will be for all eternity. Now, I don't know about you all, but that makes my day-to-day -day routine a lot easier. God sits on his throne, ruling over his creation, robed in majesty and girded with a belt of strength. Now, does this belt mean that there was a time when God was weak and now that he's put on his Batman utility belt that he can, he's, he's super strong now? No. What's a belt's purpose? It's to hold everything up. Whether it's a tunic or your britches, the job is to hold it up. The belt of strength is to show that God's power is greater than anything in or out of this world. His power, his strength, his sovereign will not only created but maintains this world, and he has the strength and power to hold up his creation. Now, I, I have to tell you, I was getting, when, I, when I was writing this sermon, I got to this part, and I had no idea where to go. I was you know, just mulling over ideas, you know, different little directions to take. To segue into this into this part.
I didn't really have anywhere to go with it, so I started getting ready for work. I started running my, my shower water. And as I look down, as I, you, know, you test the temperature of the water, I'm, I'm looking down and I see an ant in my tub. And I'm not going to say what the name was for this ant in the church because I'm not even sure if it's the proper name, but it starts with a P. <laughs> it is the smallest of the ants. And I watched as a wave of water came and just swept it away. And church, I felt that. At that moment, I felt that. Because I remember a time when I was that ant. When the waves of life came crashing in and I felt that I was about to drown. That's when I heard my name called. And a hand reached down into the water for me. There are a few moments in scripture where the writers will use water to describe chaos. This world that we live in is chaotic and as the waves of the ocean. But we serve a Lord who can tame those waves. For instance, Psalm 69 in verse 1 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. How often do we find ourselves feeling like that? How often do you find yourself swimming in the, in the ocean and the waves just keep beating you down? We try to swim to shore. We can see the land. It's so close, but it feels so far away. Fortunately for us, we as the body of Christ, we have a raft that we can rely on to get us safely there. But for some people in this world, that's all they hit before they eventually drown. They can see the land but not enter into it. All the while, every time you share the gospel, they are constantly being thrown a raft. But they refuse to use the raft. Because the raft isn't the color or the shape or even made of the material that they want. They don't realize that it's the one they need. Charles Spurgeon once said, you will never know God's strength until he has supported you in deep water. Church, our God is stronger than any waves of the ocean, metaphorical or literal. It doesn't matter whether these floods are chaos in life or nations rising against nations, or the actual ocean itself. These things are nowhere near being more powerful than God. The oceans are not conceived of themselves. They didn't spring into existence because two random particles randomly clashed together and fused on a random day at a random time. As my daughter Allie likes to say, no ma'am. So sticking with the 90s theme that we've got going on, let's uh, do a little flashback and get a little, little flashback montage going. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the, earth, of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In verse 2, we see the creation of the seas. Now, Everyone, at least in our part of West Virginia, we all have the favorite vacation spot, Myrtle Beach, or as you, Southeast Huntington, however you want to name it. Most of us that are sitting here have had the opportunity to, to witness the, the waves 
have witnessed the horizon, have witnessed everything that the beach has to offer. And it truly is awe-inspiring. You can sit and think about the creatures big and small that live in the waters. I will never forget my first trip to, to Myrtle Beach. We go to Garden City, a little south. It was approximately 1999, I believe. Was really big into the Titanic and the history and looking out into the ocean at the, the size and just how it just continued to go on for what seemed an eternity. Knowing that a ship that large is housed in that water. For teenage me, it was staggering. Just to hit you with a few numbers, the Titanic was 882 feet, 8 inches long. Its gross tonnage was over 46,000 tons, and it was 175 feet tall from the keel to the top of the funnels. It was held together by 3 million rivets. A massive ship for its time period. But the seas gobbled it up faster than a kid trying to eat breakfast before they missed the bus. All it took was one hole in the ship's hull, and over 1,500 people lost their lives. We can look at another disaster regarding water. We all remember Hurricane Katrina. It tore up everything in its path, and it wasn't the wind that did most of the damage. It was the water. The water started to rise, and they kept rising until everything was demolished. The point of this is that you cannot stop running water. No matter how hard we try, it cannot be stopped. We can certainly slow it down, but it's not stopped. And the chaos that comes with it leaves devastation in its path. People lose homes, businesses, pets, and even family members. We even have flooding issues here at times. We know what it can do firsthand. But even in all of that, there is a, just a shred of comfort. The Lord is ruler over the seas, rivers, lakes, ponds, and creeks. Or creeks, depending on where you're from. And all water bows to Him and His will. And He can stop it from running. Our God is stronger than any body of water. And no matter the case, whether it's the waves of life, or the literal waves of the ocean, And there are even some passages of Scripture, again, that refer to it as nations rising against nations. No matter the case, the Lord sits on His throne on high and will never be made subject to the power of the waves. They are subject to Him. We serve a mighty King, and we rely on His strength, not our own. If we try, we fail. We rely on His strength, His power, His sovereignty, and we rely on His Word. Verse 5 says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. God promises numerous things throughout Scripture. And I'd like to do just a, a brief flyby of some of the previous promises. Let's start at the beginning. Genesis, God provide, uh, promises Adam and Eve that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they will die. 
We all know the falling of man account and what happens. Eve eats of the fruit, passes it to Adam, who could have stopped this whole entire thing before it even started. God's promise was that death would be upon them. And in the finite human mind and with the sly serpent's lies, they were focused on the physical aspect of it, not the spiritual aspect of it. God didn't kill them where they stood, did he? No, he did discipline them though. But he didn't kill them, even though they deserved it. No, instead he cast them out of the garden and put angels with flaming swords there to guard the entrance so there was no re-entry. And in his mercy, he clothed them and sent them on their way. Let's flash forward a few thousand years. Now mankind has just taken this whole sin thing and just ran with it. There's gambling, prostitution, murder, and probably a few far worse things. But there's a man who finds favor with God. Noah's told by God to build an ark. Noah house every kind of animal. And yes, I know I'm going to be compared to Ken Ham when I say kind of animal. God tells Noah that there will be a flood and he's responsible to save creation. This is also a foreshadowing of baptism. We're locked or sealed up in Christ the same way as Noah and his family were sealed inside the ark. Ephesians 1.13 says that in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Spirit upon conversion, while the old sinful nature is symbolically buried in the waters of baptism. And we'll flash forward once again. A man named Abram is minding his own business one day and hears God call out to him. What does God tell him to do? Follow my instructions and I will make you a father of many nations. And we know that story as well. Abraham becomes, I'm sorry, Abram becomes Abraham. And many nations followed soon after that from this one man and his wife. But through it all, God makes a decree and Abraham follows and his faith is counted as righteousness. There's a reason that, we're give, that we follow God's instructions. There's a reason why we have been given 66 books made up of two testaments. And there's a reason why we as believers are to study these scriptures. Not just solo, but together as well. And there's a reason why you and I are here today, and that's to study the scripture and worship of our Lord. Why do we do these things? Why do we sit at our kitchen table or desk or wherever it is that you read your Bible and read through scripture? Why do we who have children stress to them the importance of reading their Bibles? It's because in this crumbling world where a man's word is no longer something that can be honored, God's word is rock solid and his decrees are trustworthy. Now, so far we've been through three promises. There's two more I'd like to go through with you. Seeing as how it is Christmas Eve, this promise, this decree was sent via the Old Testament prophets and was also made right after the fall of humanity. The birth of a Savior. We can look back at the three Old Testament accounts and see the promises there. When mankind falls, we see the proto-euangelion, 
the first gospel, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a redemptive promise made at this point in Scripture showing that this has been the plan all along. God makes man to worship him and praise him. His creation would ultimately fall, but he already had a plan to bring everything back around. He had every detail worked out and let, be, let it be known for centuries. In the Noah account, we see again the foreshadowing of baptism. Once again, how Noah is sealed up with his family inside the ark, so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, so we can make it through the floods of this world. Looking at the Abraham account, God starts the nation that would give birth to the Messiah with this one man, and he'll become a father of many nations, as many nations are called to Christ and become members of the body of Christ. God even let the prophets announce where this event, this birth, would take place. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judea, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. God decrees that our Savior will be born in Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, we see that God made it so by ways of a census. A census was to be taken, and Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And they had to return there to be counted. And while Mary was there, she delivers the baby, who would one day deliver her. Even the virgin birth was foretold. In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. With the promise of a birth also comes the promise of a death. But this death doesn't end like most. This death, while extremely brutal, has a majestic ending. Jesus' death on the cross was prophesied as well in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came to live a perfect life, preaching the message of God wherever he went. To be the perfect lamb of God and to die a criminal's death so that you and I shall inherit eternal life. Jesus declares that there are many mansions and that he goes to prepare his church a place in his father's house and that one day he will return for his elect and he will deliver, he, sorry, and we will dwell with God forever. God makes promises and he keeps them and we must continue to remind ourselves that every day. In part two of this final verse in Psalms 93 in closing, says that holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The word befit means to be appropriate for or to suit. So holiness suits your house, O Lord, forevermore. It's a bit of a weighty statement, don't you think? Because as a person, as Pastor Will says, we are all jacked up sinners. Me, myself, I have broken a few of the commandments. 
except for lying. Oops, just broke that one. Isn't it amazing when somebody says, you say, have you ever told a lie? And they say, no, and everybody starts laughing. I've not always been the best person that I can or could be. Being sinful by nature means that we cannot stand before a righteous God. Covered in our iniquities. We won't even get through the front door, let alone to the throne room. But when you put your faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to you. Meaning that all charges of sins that you are up against in the court of God are dropped. And beloved, that means that we will be able to dwell in the house of God for all eternity. If he's kept all of his promises. Now I want you to think about this one. As you go through, go home, you're, un, you're either wrapping or unwrapping gifts or whatever you're doing. Think about this. If God has kept every promise that he's ever made, whether it be through a, through a prophecy whether it be through the lips of Christ himself, he's kept every promise. Why would his return be any different? So tonight, have you given your life to Christ? Have you been having this this gut feeling, so to speak, that you know this is true and you know that you need Christ in your life? And I urge you, as they say in the old country churches, to get right with the Lord. Lay everything at the foot of the cross, repent of your sins, and follow him. Just like the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And if there's anyone here who would love to know more about the gospel, I'm pretty sure one of our pastors, and I know myself, would love to talk to you. Please find one of us after the service and feel free to talk our ear off. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.